Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com. Well, thanks for tuning in to uh, this message. And uh, honestly, if I'm being really honest, this message feels so big. Um, because we're going to be talking about the idea of time and what is what does God want to do with time. If we're in this series of intention and trying to figure out what did God, the master designer and architect, as he's designing the world really with holistically time as the container that everything is held in, what do we do with that? What's our purpose within time? And so as much as this is about time, it's also about our purpose just as humanity um, and so this feels like a massive sermon. Um, and it also gets into how do we just even spend time with God? How do we spend time with Jesus? So that'll be a part two that we're going to hit on next week. But um, with that, I just kind of got around this idea of like, what were the highest grossing movies? And if I think about it, you know, or just movies in general, right? you got Hot Tub Time Machine. Um, you've got the whole Marvel franchise. And it's all having to do with time, wrinkle in time, back to the future, uh, my personal favorite about time. It's actually a really good one. My wife and I love watching it, right? All of these movies, they, they all deal with time. And there's something about it that the way that we think about time or what we think the end goal of time is will absolutely factor into how we manage ourselves in time. So the way you think about time, what you think the end goal of time is, that's going to change how you live within time. And so if you were to add 10 more hours to your day, because that, that, that's really the reality. At the end of our lives, you know, at the end of a life of a loved one, we all say, I, I just wish I had more time. You know, there's the saying, it's five o'clock somewhere, which is in every bar in Cabo and maybe even your mom's house, right? It's the place, it's that phrase that, that allows us, because the way we're thinking about time, to just justify day drinking or whatever it is, the way we think about time matters with how we live. And so if you were to have 10 more hours of your day, what would you do with it? I think is a valuable question because I think for me, I would be like, well, I'd, I'd want to sleep. I'd want to maybe read. I would want to finally finish that project. I want to get better at surfing. I'd spend more time with my wife. And I think that it's an important question because as we think that we maybe would do those things, maybe we would do some of those good things. I think at the end of those 10 hours, we would still ask the question or say, man, I wish I had more time. There's something about the reality that we will never finish the work. We will never feel satisfied. There's something deep in our soul that longs for transcendence, that longs for timelessness, and yet we're confined by time. Time doesn't discriminate. It's actually the only currency that stays the same. And we use it like currency language. I'm going to spend time. I've got this time to, to give away. We, we talk about it. So it's actually a stewardship issue. How are we going to steward our time, but you can't invest time in crypto or the next NFT. You can't put it in the S&P 500 and get like 10%, right? You can't do that with time. We are all confined to 24 hours. That's the limitation that we all have. And so uh, Genesis says this about us, which is why we feel this restlessness. It says Genesis 1:27, God created mankind in his own image and in the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. And then Genesis 2, where it kind of hones in on, on that story, it says in verse 7, 
Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. We are image and we are dust. We are potential and yet we are also dispensable, right? We are, we are like super recyclable. We're biodegradable before it was actually cool, right? This is who we are. We have limitations and potential. We are like God, but we're not God. And so we feel this sense. We have a desire for eternal beauty, flourishing, taking the raw materials of this earth and creating something beautiful, right? We're made in the image of God. We have this raw potential and creativity, productivity. And yet at the same time, we get flabbier with every bite. (laughs) We get wrinkles as time goes by. Our body decays and it will eventually come to a place that our life ends and hopefully a long life. We slow down. We can't work as long. We have work that won't get finished. We are image and dust, potential and limitation. So with time, part of following Jesus is living into our potential, but it's also living into our limitations. It's embracing both. Now, it's interesting. The bait of Satan or the original kind of fall was for limitlessness. In Genesis 3, it says the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say that you may not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit of the trees of the garden, but God did say, don't eat that fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. Don't even touch it or you'll die. And Satan says, you will not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. So here's what I want to start off with. There is something inside of us that we desire that transcendence and that timelessness, but we don't live into our limitations. And so as we talk about time, we actually can't go further talking about productivity. I actually feel like we live in a very productive world. That's not actually the issue. Um, We do kill time and we waste time, again, in that spending language by just scrolling endlessly, all these things. We're kind of burning our time and we could use our time better, which we'll talk about. But the reality is, is, is we're a hyper-productive people. We're always on the go. We're always running. But the thing is, we don't live into our limitations. The original sin or the original temptation was limitlessness. Was, no, no, this is the limit God has given you. You should push against that because you could be limitless. And so actually, if we're going to flourish, if we want to understand time, we need to understand it is a limitation that we are designed to live in. So the question isn't, what would you do with more 10 hours of your day, the question is, how are you stewarding your 24? Because if you were given 10 more, we would do the same thing. We are creatures of habit. We we continue to live into the scripts that we are already doing. Um, Ronald Rollheiser says this. He says, our lives become consumed with the idea that unless we somehow experience everything, travel everywhere, see everything, and are a part of a large number of people's experiences, then our lives are small and meaningless. We become impatient with every hunger, every ache, and every non-consummated area within our lives. And we become convinced that unless every pleasure we yearn for is tasted, we will be unhappy. We stand before life too greedy, too full of expectations that cannot be realized, and unable to accept that here, in this life, all symphonies remain unfinished. 
When this happens, an obsessive restlessness leaves us unable to rest or be satisfied because we are convinced that all lack, all tension, and all unfulfilled yearning is tragic. When we are obsessed with this way, it is hard to be contemplative. We are too focused on our own heartache to be very open and receptive. There's something about us which makes sense. We are image and we are dust. We desire for the end of the story, which we'll talk about next. But I love what Pastor Kevin DeYoung says. He says, if Jesus had to live with human limitations, now pause real quick. Have you thought about that? That Jesus, it, God, when he became man, what that meant is not only was he confined to unipresence, not omnipresence as he previously knew, but he was also confined by time, the same 24 hours that you had, um, that we have. And you see his ministry, he had three years in his earthly ministry. Jesus was confined by time. So if we want to know how to steward our time well, if we were to ask the question, man, God, God what would you do with, with time? We actually have the image and the image is Jesus and we can learn our life from him. But then it continues, it said, we'd be foolish to think that we don't have to live with limitations. The people on this planet who end up doing nothing are those who never realized that they couldn't do everything. And so the point is for us to embrace our limitations. If we are to be the best stewards of our time, it's not actually to try to multiply time and become overly productive to the place of burnout. It's actually to live within limitation, to realize that we are confined by a 24-hour span. We are confined by minutes of our days. And part of that is what God gets into when He says, you're made to work and you're also made to rest. You're made to rest. Now, that's the next point is, is the telos of time. So if the first point was that we are image and dust. This next point is the telos of time. What is the end goal of time? What are we here for? What's the point? Because again, how you view time, what you think of time will affect how you live in time. I think many of us, we actually live a half story. You know, those of us who say we follow Jesus, I think many of us live this half story where we start off with the idea that we're all sinners, right? We're all broken. We all are irredeemably deficient and we can't make it to God's goodness on our own. And that is true. God has to come and rescue us. He's the only one that can do it and be perfect and live this life that we couldn't live and to, to die in our place. That's, that's the truth. However, that's only half the story. So I think when we start off with this idea that we are just irredeemably deficient and broken and sinful, then what happens is the, the narrative that we believe, what we do with time, is we all of a sudden start to think, okay, all I need to do is accept Jesus so that I can be not broken and I can go to heaven. Now again, not untrue, but not the full truth. So the reality is, is that the Bible starts off with God creating and in his creation, he says, it's good. It is good. He creates all of these things. He, he creates day and night. So it says in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. There was evening and there was morning the first day. Now God's beginning to create time, but he's saying it's good. 
it is good. But if we start with everything's bad, then our hope is for God to come and just destroy everything and then just start new and start with this idea of heaven. But the problem is many of our ideas of heaven is actually off. It's not biblical. It's the idea of us floating in diapers with harps. Like that's our idea of what heaven is. And honestly, I understand if that's our view of heaven, some people are like, well, I just don't want to be there. It sounds pointless. It sounds meaningless. It doesn't sound fun. And I don't like diapers, right? Like that's kind of the idea that we have of heaven. But if we realize that the beginning of the story is with goodness, and then it's in Genesis 3 where sin and brokenness and fall and chaos had re-entered into the story or entered into the story that through that when Jesus comes he's not coming because he's trying to destroy all things and at the end of the day when the world is over it's not about the destruction of all things it's about the redemption of all things so what's the telos of time well it says this in Revelation um, 22:5. it says there will be no more night There will not be need of light or a lamp or light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. It's talking about this timeless state where we will be with God and everything that was good is going to be redeemed. If you read Revelation, you continue to read it. It's about the restoration of all things. It's not this floaty, ethereal kind of heavenly place. It actually ends up with earth where we are working and we are resting, and we are enjoying. So how does that affect you today? Well, that means that what you do matters. It means who you're becoming matters. Again, if if our view of time is that God's going to destroy everything and just restart, if our view of following Jesus is that we get a ticket into heaven, and once we get that ticket in, then we're good, and at the end of the day, then we'll get to float around, then why, why do anything good? Why care for your neighbor? Why desire to become like Jesus now if it's just going to happen later? Why care for the environment? I mean, when we understand the full story, God created everything good. Sin has has caused brokenness and fall in the world and there's chaos and there's pain and that's why there's destruction. That's why there's violence. That's why why there's racism. That's why there's war. That's why there's refugee crisis. Like this is... We see it in our own lives, like it all happens because of our decisions. And yet God comes in his goodness through Jesus to show us the model of how to live life. On the cross, he died disarming the things that get in the way of us living life. And then Jesus says, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, on earth. And he says, I have come to give you life and give you life to the full. He says, come to me. All you who are burdened and weary, I will give you rest for your souls. There's a lot in that that we'll unpack in a second. But he died and he rose again so that we can have this life. And then he went away and he says, now live my life. Follow me. Do the things that I do. Live the life that I lived. And then at the end of the day, it's going to continue on into eternity. And so God creates time so that the end of time ends on day seven of creation. So this is important for us to understand as we try to understand what God is up to in the Genesis account. So real quick, let me nerd on you. In the Genesis account, if we want to understand how to read scripture, um, Dr. Tim Mackey says that throughout scripture, there are like hyperlinks, which is a helpful image. 
If you're scrolling through your browser and you see that there is a glowing blue hyperlink, you click on that and that will take you to the original source. Scripture is like that. And so as you're reading in John or you're reading somewhere else in the New Testament or other parts of the Old Testament, there are going to be these glowing blue hyperlinks that as you read scripture, you'll notice more and more. When you click on them, for the most part, a lot of them are going to allude back to the first three pages of scripture, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, because, because God designed scripture, how he orchestrated it, how he inspired human authors to be this beautifully authored, beautifully written thing. The more that you study, the more you realize, like, man, God had his hand in this. This is God's word. And so what he did with this is he, he began to give us the structure of time in our lives. And so he writes this beautiful poem in Genesis 1 and 2, but it says this on the seventh day. It says, by the seventh day, or we'll backtrack, like all the other days, it says there was evening and there was morning, day two. Evening, morning, day three. And it goes like that until you get to the seventh day. It says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. And on the seventh day, he rested from his work. Then God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. There's no evening. There's no morning. It just is. And scholars uh, have tuned into this and they've said, well, this is actually really intentional. Because the point is, is that this was the pinnacle of time itself. So as we read the Genesis account and you're seeing that God is creating all these things, it gets the seventh day and this is where it's the pinnacle of rest and enjoyment and living into the creation. Um, Samuel Ballantine in his book, The Torah's Vision of Worship, he says this, Unlike the previous days, the seventh day of Genesis 1 is simply announced. There's no mention of evening or morning, no mention of a beginning or an ending. The suggestion is that this primordial seventh day exists in perpetuity. It is a sacred day that cannot be abrogated by the limitations common to the rest of created order. So what he's saying is in Genesis 1, it's this cosmic symbol that stands for all of history and all of time. If we want to know what the telos of time is, the end goal of time, what we're living here for, we can look at the seventh day and see that this is what God's goal is, is rest in his presence, being with him for all of eternity. It's not the destruction of all things, it's the restoration of all things. So you guys know when we take Sabbath, I'm not going to talk too much about Sabbath because there's a whole other sermon that we've already preached on about that. But when you Sabbath, When you take a day to step back and not do work and begin trust God that he's working everything out, when you take a Sabbath and say, I'm going to delight in all of God's creation, I'm going to enjoy all that I have, I'm going to sit in this space, you're actually sitting in somewhat of a timeless space. You're tasting what eternity is meant to be or what it will be like. And so if that's not just compelling enough for you to say, man, I just want to taste it. Begin by taking Sabbaths. Begin by saying, man, this is my heart's longing for transcendence and timelessness. The image of God in me that rubs up against the dust that I'm made out of is crying out for this reality, this seventh day reality where it's all completed, where everything is good, the restoration of all things. And so this this is what it's about, seventh day. And you see this structure of seven days all throughout scripture or seven days all throughout scripture. That's because in the Hebrew, the word seven um, has the same consonants as the word complete and wholeness. 
So they're used interchangeably. So if you want to know what time is about, anytime you see seven in scripture, it's typically alluding to time. So then what does that mean for us today? How do we live that out? If this is what time is about, is the end goal is rest with God, the redemption of all of his good creation. How do we do that now? Well, in scripture, the way that God set it up and through the the seven-day creation account, the first, the last, which are really important, so the first day and the seventh day have to do with time. But the way that seven works throughout scripture, again, I'm nerding out on you, but it's a chiastic structure. So actually the number four, the one that's right in the middle is of supreme importance. That is a super important day because of how seven is, is designed. And so when you're reading scripture and you see seven things, always look at the middle one. So important. And the seventh one is also about time. And so that one is about festivals. It's like when God filled it with stars and, and he says that use this for your feasts or your festivals. And then this is built out in the structure throughout the Old Testament where there are some really important festivals and things that God had given them. One was Sabbath, which we already talked about. But the other one, every seven years is called the year of release, which means that was when if you had slaves, which he's not condoning slavery, that was kind of just the reality that they lived in. And it's actually more so him saying, I'm not for slavery because every seven years I want to restore it back to Eden. I want to give you a taste of eternity. And so the year of release is when you would release debts, you would release slaves. And then every seven times, seven years. So 49 years on that 50th year, it was called the year of Jubilee. So again, you're starting to see this pattern of sevens and every single time God's trying to clue us into what is time about? What's about the freedom of slaves? It's about the freedom of oppression. It's about seeing the poor and the oppressed and lifting them up. It's about giving the land rest and restoring the land. It's about living into and delighting in what you've been given. It's about trusting God. And so if we want a picture of eternity, that's what it's about. It's about rest. It's about restoration. It's about wholeness. It's about sickness being gone. It's about poverty being gone. It's about abuse being gone. It's about the restoration of all things and God's good plans and purposes being restored. That is what we live into. So when we live a half story, there's no purpose for you to follow Jesus and give your life over to him, except for maybe you just want to help out and make this life more manageable. But if we understand the full story of what God is doing in redemption, it changes how we live now. It changes how we work now. It changes what you do in your marketing job. How does your marketing, how is that contributing to the goodness of God's eternal creation? What you do if you're just a baggage person at at Vons, you know, how does that, it, by working really hard and by just giving someone a smile, like how is that contributing to the goodness to come? What we do matters. Who we become matters. And then you see this in Revelations 1.8. And this is Jesus, and this is where we're going to kind of start to land. But Jesus says this in Revelation 1.8, through, um, as he's revealing himself to the Apostle John, it says, I am the Alpha and I am the Omega. I am who is and who was and is to come, the Lord Almighty. Now he's, he's cluing in on the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. And what he's trying to say and what he is saying is he's saying that time is about me. I am the beginning and I am the end. If you want to find restoration, 
Do you want to find wholeness? Do you want to know what time is about? Time is found in me. And so we want to learn how to live our lives within time. We have to follow Jesus. We have to learn how did Jesus model his life. Now the thing is, Jesus was crazy busy. Jesus was probably more busy than anyone that we would have known. I mean, and think about if Jesus were planted today, how many people would be vying for his attention? He knows what it's like to be busy. Jesus was crazy purposeful. Dorothy Sayers says this, underneath all of Jesus' gentleness, there's a purpose that's harder than steel. There was nobody in Jerusalem that had um, more time or more people vying for their attention than Jesus. So the point is, Jesus is the model for how do we order ourselves in time. Like I said this before, but my mentor, Bill Doctrine, says you can't manage time. Again, we are given an allotted amount of time, but you can only manage yourself in time. So how you manage yourself determines on who you become. C.S. Lewis says this, every time you make a choice, you're turning that central part of you, that part of you that chooses into something a little bit different from what it was before. And taking your life as a whole with all of your innumerable choices, all of your life long, you're slowly turning the central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature, either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in the state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be one kind of creature is heaven. That is, it is a joy and peace and knowledge and power To be other means madness, horror, uh, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to the one state or the other. Time isn't neutral. It doesn't discriminate. We are all given the same amount of time. Now, I understand there are some nuances in there of that, you know, if you are a stay-at-home mom or you are a CEO, you might have more time, but you're saying you have more leisurely time than someone who's 14 and they just ride their e-bike down PCH all day, right? And we understand like not everyone has the same amount of time or how they spend their time might look different, but the reality is, is time isn't neutral. How you spend your time matters because it either forms you or it deforms you. Every decision that we make either makes us someone who would desire that end story where the restoration of all good, where we participate with God as a co-heir with him, or we become someone who's, who's not for that. Or we're against that. We don't really care. We're just going to kind of do our thing. We're going to live our life and we're going to try to satisfy our desires. Every decision we make matters. So what did Jesus do? Well, look at Ephesians 5. This is Paul and he um, was one of the fathers of the original churches. And he says this about time. He says, be very careful, Ephesians 5.15, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. It says, make the most of every opportunity. Another way you can say that um, in other translations says, redeem your time. Redeeming your time. Why? Because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, instead be filled with the Spirit. Then he says, speak to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Now, the not get drunk on wine, he's kind of hitting on a cultural thing of the day. I think it still crosses over. But um, what he's saying is, essentially, 
How do you redeem your time? You're filled with the Spirit. Redeem your time. Why? The days are evil. There is wickedness in our, in our midst. We make decisions that, that corrupt and that continue to go against God's good creation. But how do we redeem it? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says this in Luke 4, 14. This is right when he's starting his ministry. And he goes off into the wilderness for 40 days to fast and pray. He's tempted. And then it, comes, it says he returned from the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. Now, part of that was clarity on his mission. Jesus now knew what he was meant to do with this time. He knew his limits, that he had three years of ministry, and he worked hard and he rested off. And if you look at the story of Jesus, continuing in Luke 4, this is how we can see um, how Jesus saw his time. He said this in, in verse 16. Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, on the seventh day, you know, talking about time in general, He went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read. And on the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, it was handed to him. And unrolling it, he found a place where it was written. It said this, quoting Isaiah the prophet, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In other words, the year of Jubilee. I am bringing the goal of time. That's what Jesus is saying. Time, the goal, the telos of time is found in me. Jesus is saying, if you want to live life to the full, if you want to find rest for your soul, it's found in me. But the reality is we live with this one script of time. We live with this idea that time is working against us or it's something we have to fill with more productivity or when we're not even thinking that we're either just numbing out and this is what we do with our time. But Walter Brueggemann says we have to live an alternative script. So how does Jesus teach us to live an alternative script, to live in time differently, to see time differently, to change and adjust the moments of our day? Well, Jesus says, I have come that you may have life to the full. I have come that you will experience completeness, what seven is, that you will experience the year of Jubilee, that you will experience eternity, that we live as people of the future in the present. He says, I've come to give you this. He says, this is why I'm here, for you to experience the eternity now, to experience Jubilee now, to experience what time, the telos of time is about Now, not in fullness. We can't do that yet. There's this theological term called the inaugurated eschatology, the already but not yet. God has come and He's set this in motion and we're watching it unfold, but we play a part in that. It says, the life you long for, the life that you desire, I have come that you may have that to the full. Robert Mulholland Jr. says that Jesus is indicating that the purpose of the Christian life is to live Um, life in a loving union with God at the depths of our beings. To live in loving union with God at the depths of our beings. How many times are you just like, hey, how's your day going? Like, oh man, I'm doing great. I'm just living in loving union with God at the depths of my beings. How are you doing? Like, how different would we live if we were intentionally leaning into Jesus as the fulfillment of what our time is about? Living in the present every moment with loving union with God at the depths of our being. And so Jesus says, come to me if you want to have life. 
I am the Alpha, I am the Omega, time is found in me. If you want to find rest, ultimate rest, jubilee rest, freedom for the prisoner, the captive, the poor, for your soul, you find it in me. And then if you were to read in John, he's got seven I am statements and he says this, if you're hungry, Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. He says, if you're thirsty, I am the living water. If you're lonely, he's the good shepherd. If you're excluded, he's the door. If you lack fruit in your life, he's the true vine. If you're in darkness or in pain or chaos, he's the light of the world. If you feel separated, he's the way, the truth, and the life. If you are dead and your spirit is dead, if you're feeling lonely and low, he is the resurrection in life. He says you don't need, these are other things he said, you don't need a temple to go to, to be in the presence of God. I am the temple says, you don't need a priesthood to come to God. He says, I am the priesthood. You don't need a sacrificial system in order to be good enough to experience jubilee and experience the presence of God. He says, I am the sacrifice. He says, come to me and you will have life. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the aim of time. And so if I were to say, what's the purpose of time? Well, if you see in Genesis They were with God in His presence and it was good. If you see in Revelation, where Revelation 1.8, there will be no more sun, no more moon. Time won't have to happen necessarily because God's presence will be there. And Jesus came to be present with us. He gives us His Holy Spirit. So what's the purpose of time? It's not to live in the past. You know, I think of like Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite, if you catch that reference. Like just always living in the past, never in the present. Or always living in the future, unable to attain, always hoping for more, never present, never content, not living within the limitations. The point of time is presence. It's to be with Jesus. It's to be intentional with Him moment by moment. And like Ephesians says, if you want to redeem your time, be filled with the Spirit, with God's presence. We're going to talk more about what that looks like next week. Here's the reality. I'm not a life coach. Um, I'm not a self-help guru. Uh, I'm not a time management consultant. I'm a pastor. There's a lot of things that you could do, practical, biblical things that you could do to redeem your time, to manage your time well. A few things you could do, you can get a commitment tracking system that just helps you kind of take everything that you have and put it in one place. Because I know like me, I've got email inbox, I've got notes on my phone, I've got things scribbled on random notepads, and I've got things floating in my head. If you get it all in one place, that could help you focus your attention. You can get a calendar where you just schedule Sabbath, schedule time to be alone with God, schedule your commitment, schedule time with your husband or wife or loved ones or friends. Schedule time to be unproductive for your own health. I mean that with air quotes because that's super productive. You can learn how to say no to good things because you want to say yes to the best thing. You can eliminate distractions. You can put focus on your phone. Go into your settings and put on focus. And get serious accountability with your social media usage. You can do all these things. You can create space for deep work. You can go on walks and allow your mind to unwind and just naturally close open loops. Dream, pray, ask for help. These are all good things. And I think that they're all important and valuable for us as we want to redeem our time, right? Because as Paul says, the days are evil, but we can be filled with the Spirit. I think these are all good things, but I want to go back to Jesus. How did he do it? And again, we'll talk more about this next week. But Jesus knew his call. He said when he came back from the wilderness in Luke 4, 
He came back and then right after that, he was healing people who were sick. He healed Peter's mother. All of these people were coming to him and, and he was doing incredible miracles. It says he woke up in the morning, went off to a place by himself. Everyone came and they were trying to find him. And when they found him, they're like, hey, everyone's looking for you. And he's like, oh, we got to move on because I came to preach. That was why I came. He had clarity on why he was there. And so he was able to say no to things he needed to say no to. Ultimately, so he can say his best yes. He had clarity on his call because he knew what the goal was, that the end goal, the talos of time, is the restoration of all things and his goodness. So he knew what his part was to play in that. So for you, maybe just pray into God, what's my part to play? And that can shift. That might be different every day, but praying and asking God every day, what's my part to play? How do I know what my mission is? The second thing is he embraced his limits. In that same story, he didn't heal everybody. He was confined to 24 hours. He was confined to a three-year ministry. Jesus became human and embraced limitations. He actually found out what his call was within his limitations. So maybe for you, if you are really struggling with this idea of transcendence or you just want to be limitless, you're trying to squeeze every ounce of productivity, maybe for you it might be important to embrace your limits. Part of that is through Sabbath. You just say, God, I'm giving you this day so that I know that I am limited and you give it over to God. You inconvenience yourself on purpose. So you're reminded of your limitations so you can be like Jesus and live in health. And the final thing was he was led by the Spirit. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Everything he did, he listened to the Father and the Spirit led him. He was obedient to what God asked him to do. And so we need to get good at discerning every moment. Being led by the Spirit. God, what are you asking me to do right now? Holy Spirit, how are you wanting to speak to this person? How do you want to love? How do you want to breathe jubilee, restoration, goodness into this moment, into my work, into my family? How do you want to do that? So Jesus did it by knowing his mission. He did it by embracing his limits. And he did it by being led by the Spirit. For us, it's the same. Again, we'll talk a little bit more about this next week. But until then, time is about presence. So let's be present with God right now. Let's pray. God, thank you for really just this beautiful story of time that it isn't about us just getting through time so that we can get to a place of, you know, finally, finally arriving. But you, in the grand story of scripture, are bringing heaven and earth to collide. And so we join with Jesus in the prayer of, Lord, would your kingdom come? Would your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Would timelessness and time invade? God, we find ourselves being purposeful and present in the time that we have. God, I pray for every one of us who, myself included, struggle with this idea of making the, the best use of our time. Would you help us to embrace our limits? Would you help us to know what we're called to do, God? And would you help us be attuned to your spirit and how you're calling and leading us in every moment? God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com.